When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last night, the Republican staff of this committee released to the media a timeline that shows that they've interviewed two people who claim they were the ones who actually assaulted you. I'm asking you to address this new defense of mistaken identity directly. Dr. Ford, with what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. We will hear from two witnesses. Dr. Christine Blasey. We did not know each other well, but I knew him and he knew me. And Judge Kavanaugh. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life. But you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So we're just going to jump right in here on this whirlwind day. Dahlia Lithwick, our jurisprudence correspondent, was in the room at today's Kavanaugh-Ford showdown. And she's on the phone right now and on her way to do a fancy TV hit. Did you guys know they're called hits when you show up on cable news? We will keep this nice and short. Dahlia, welcome yet again to Trumpcast. Hi there. Sorry about that. Well, I'm sorry that once again we have to get together under unfortunate circumstances. It was just a hell of a day, right? It was something else. It was like nothing I've ever witnessed in my life. What did the—did you find any empowerment in Blasey Ford's testimony? I did, and I don't know why. I mean, this is what I would say, and I was in the chamber the whole time, and it's a tiny little room, Virginia. TV gives you the sense that it's this kind of cavernous room, but it's actually very small. Okay. Um, And, you know, I think she was so direct and so not Washington-y and so, you know, deft in talking about brain chemistry. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. The, la- the uproarious laughter between the two, and they're having fun at my expense. There was something very truthful and honest. She was at such pains to be conscientious and precise, and so there was a way in which I think it was just very disarming. And then sort of the counterpoint <laughs> you came out thinking, wow, this was a real person and a real woman, and she's being cross-examined by a serious sexual assault uh, prosecutor, and this is a serious thing. And so there there was something about, um, you know, the fact that the Republican men in the room didn't even talk the whole morning Yeah, um, that made it seem as though maybe we'd reach some next level of giving credence to claims like hers. Yes. So this was, you're talking about when Rachel Mitchell, formerly the female assistant uh, as as a sex crimes prosecutor, and does seem to have like a reasonable background prosecuting sex crimes, she knows something about them. She did all the morning questioning. She took time for each of the senators. Um, and the understanding was she'd keep doing that in the afternoon, or I thought she was. Well, 
she started doing that. And yeah. then, um, you know, Lindsey Graham had a little freak out and started shouting. And This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Other people, I guess, wanted to shout more. And then, you know, Judge Kavanaugh was shouting. And then I think she was not maybe shouty enough. And mm-hmm. so they kind of benched her and she was sitting there. It was very strange because she was under the dais. Yeah. And she was sort of sit- sitting there beneath them. Uh, and they just kind of. Oh, we never on TV. You never saw her again. I thought like yeah, they had swept she her off there. stage. Oh, OK. No, um, no, she was there. I, at some point, I think she was just playing like words with friends, but she she was in the room. Uh, but I think it just became clear. And, and I should say toward the end, some of the senators were uh, shoutily saying, you know, we let her be examined by someone respectful and this is how you repay us. So there was almost a way in which they were saying, you know, now we get our extra anger because we were nice to your witness and this is what we get in return. So it was very strange. Um, So what it was confusing what this was meant to be, but let's giving it the benefit of the doubt that this is all reflection on character, not feminism, not um, anything, but like the early inquiry is into his character, whatever that is. It's not a courtroom inquiry. Right. It's just like what you would do if you think someone belongs on the Supreme Court, that they. Right. Right. This is, it's, I mean, it's like a 50s value character. You know, it, 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 yeah, it was very strange because, you know, the Republicans kept saying, look, this is not a criminal trial. You know, this is not, you know, like as though it was, it was very strange. Like they 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 wanted the benefits of doing criminal due process. They wanted yeah. to say, you know, we have not seen a scintilla of evidence that would suggest beyond a reasonable doubt. And yet there was no evidence because there was no evidence because there was no quantum of proof demanded. And so it was this very um, perplexing thing where you couldn't quite I'm good. Thank you. Uh, sorry, Virginia. It, it was just a very perplexing thing where you couldn't tell whether you were in a job interview, as one side was saying, or you were in some kind of Perry Mason-esque alternate world where we were going to make some finding of guilt, mm-hmm. uh, but with no evidence. And and because we were toggling back and forth and because Democrats kept saying, well, we would need to see some evidence in order to have a, you know, criminal trial. And then they kept saying, no, it's about character. So it was extremely perplexing exactly what court movie we were watching. What is most important? What's the most important thing you think we learned about Kavanaugh that goes to his eligibility to serve? Well, I mean, I think that we just witnessed the single most staggering sort of partisan political outbursts that we've ever seen. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit, fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election. He was, um, you know, very, very happy to say that this was a vast conspiracy between Democrats and, you know, people who were still avenging the Clintons and the media and dark liberal money. I mean, he went, he hit all of the talking points of the sort of 
weird theory that there couldn't possibly be a, a fair process uh, because, you know, the, the liberals were out to get him. Mm-hmm. And I've never, and I've covered a bunch of confirmation hearings, been seen someone so willing to just burn down the notion that judges <laughs> don't, you know, kind of do all of the Trumpian talking points about fake news and, and liberal money, but, but he went there. And I think in that sense, uh, you know, and I think Chris Coons was trying to get at this in some of the questioning, but I think in that sense, the real shocker to me was that, you know, now the Supreme Court, uh, presumably if he's confirmed, will have one member who just thinks that Democrats are the devil because he said it. Yep. Yep. He, what did you think about the emotionalism? I mean, I, I, like just to put my cards on the table, I, I that I did not expect. Like, I just didn't expect him to be like, frankly, a hysteric, like incomprehensible, cognitively damaged, seemingly like they just big moments of aphasia when he can't answer questions, the constant repetition and like echolalia. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I understand why Kamala Harris asked him about temperament. Like, this guy seems like a wreck. Yeah, it was funny that somebody who was trying to be affronted at claims that he could be angry and out of control, yes, you yes. know, evinced angry out of controlness. And I don't have a great, um, you know, answer for how that played. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you folks in the room were shocked, Virginia. Yeah. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. And it didn't just come across as the sort of Clarence Thomas high-tech lynching. It came across as just thrumming, vibrating, visceral fury. And it was sustained. I mean, that opening statement lasted for a very long time. And as you said, you know, he choked up and he, I think some wag uh, next to me pointed out that if a woman had been, you know, done any of that, it would have been deemed disqualifying, but it was sort of like refreshingly honest uh, Mm. in a man. But Mm. I, I do think it was just so impossible to map that on to the Brett Kavanaugh we saw on the Fox News interview, you know, the sort of golly shucks guy. Through all these years that are in question, you were a virgin. That's correct. Never had sexual intercourse with anyone in high school. Correct. And through what years in college, since we're probing into your personal many life years, here? Many years after. I'll leave it at that. Many years after. Just hacking back and forth at whiplash rates between this kind of judicial persona and this, like, sports guy, you know, church-loving, freshly scrubbed basketball guy, and then mm-hmm. this just arcing, sparking fury. And uh, it was awfully hard to kind of figure out how both of those people could be in the same room. I mean, we we obviously, he hasn't had a full FBI investigation, as we well know, and he didn't, he hasn't had a trial, but we did see a lot of very good prosecutors um, asking him questions, and there's some evidence, there's been evidence admitted. Do you think he did what Dr. Ford described? Did he do it? I, I, I mean, it's hard to know. It's, 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 you know, in the end, I think that I know that everybody wants to say, I believe her, I believe him. Mm-hmm. But I, my, my take all along has been like, it's just really hard based on a reality TV show mm-hmm. uh, to make determinations. I think that, you know, she was unbelievably credible. She was very clear that she had been making these contemporaneous claims o- over a long period of time and explained why it was that this all came to a head at the 11th hour. And I, I found her very credible and very authentic. And I found him 
furious and terrifying. And so <laughs> it's just, you know, in the absence of all of the proof that could have been evinced. And by the way, like a 1982 day planner doesn't do it. Right. Um, I just found it as a spectacle, absolutely frightening. And, you know, I kept thinking, Virginia, um, they have that, that Margaret Atwood line, you know, men are afraid women are going to laugh at them and women are afraid men are going to kill them. Yeah. And it was kind of cringing fury that I'm going to take away with me. Um, um, yeah, I really have to go. I'm in trouble. Are okay. we okay? We're definitely okay. okay. Yes. Um, take Sorry, care guys. of yourself, Dahlia. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, bye. We're going to be back in a minute to keep talking about today's hearing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, Mark, it's Jason. Uh, so this is how we're sort of framing this thing. Uh, Dolly had to jump out for a TV interview. Okay. But the idea is kind of to pick up where she left off. No so, worries, no worries. I, you know, I'm usually the fill-in for Dahlia, so I'm happy to be the literal fill-in this time, where it's right, like, right. I'll just pretend to be her for the second half. No problem. Okay, so the great Dahlia did have to jump out for a TV interview, but fortunately we have Mark Joseph Stern, Slate's own legal correspondent. And I just want to pick up, Mark, where I left off with our colleague Dahlia um, and ask you about Brett Kavanaugh's character. I know you've seen him preside in court and say that there's a different man in there, but I really saw someone who I can't find in him the person that can think clearly. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I think what happened today was that the mask slipped. Yeah. Finally, you know, he sat through 32 hours of hearings earlier in September, and the mask never slipped. He kept up this image of a kind of bland, nice guy mm -hmm. who hears both sides fairly. Uh, and that's the image he presented in court, uh, in his current court on the D.C. Circuit. Uh, I have seen him preside, and he's a seemingly nice and fair-minded guy. Uh, but today, he revealed the other side of Brett Kavanaugh, the guy who is not a nice carpool dad or a totally impartial judge, uh, but the partisan warrior, the GOP operative, right, who worked with Ken Starr and Karl Rove and George W. Bush for most of his young professional life. And it was a frightening image. And I think that even if the mask never slips in public again, and mm -hmm. it probably won't. Mm -hmm. This will be the image that is indelibly marked on many Americans' brains. You know, it also, it seemed like um, it seemed like someone uh, who had a very sh 
very few emotional settings. Like he he just there's a certain like brittleness and shallowness to him that in talking about sexuality, drinking, gender, he just doesn't have much vocabulary. Like he's so panicked. You know that um, short story cat person that was in the in the New Yorker last year oh, and course, got a lot of attention. So there's like the story of you know for listeners who ha- didn't read it, but it's worth reading. All this hemming and hawing in a relationship, and then finally contracts down to you know when the when the 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 guy in the relationship just sends a text that just says whore, and it's like all this other stuff is protecting the fact that he has like only can think about women in terms of like protecting them or sullying their reputations. It it just seemed like there was a lot of virgin whore simplicity around gender. And it was also he either completely is guilty and then it is a bottomless world of evil, which is uh, he can't his brain cannot handle that. Like he bursts into tears thinking that he's evil or that was called evil. And then he doesn't have a way of talking about drinking and blacking out. That's not like that's it just defies belief that he's not going to say every person who's ever, you know, had one beer above their limit has lost memory. Like, why can't he allow that? Simple thing. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think it's because he's really never been held accountable for his actions in the past. Right. This is a guy who had a very powerful father and grandfather, a very well-known, wealthy family. He went to this swanky, prestigious prep school. Uh, He went to Yale, as he reminds us many times today. He got into Yale Law School. Uh, He wound up in a clerkship for Judge Kaczynski. He... uh, seemingly turned a blind eye toward Kaczynski's sexual harassment. By the way, in his up- in his recitation of his CV today, which, as you say, he did many times, he left out that prestigious clerkship. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Can't yeah. imagine why that was. Uh, he just jumped straight to the Kennedy clerkship on the Supreme Court. And, you know, what did, what did he do after that? He was a GOP operative, and then he got bumped up to the D.C. Circuit because George W. Bush thought he was a fun guy. Uh, he, he's never been held accountable. He's never been forced to explain his actions or, or really interrogate his past or even sort of reevaluate his past actions in light of modern mores and norms and, and how we have evolved as a society since the early 80s. This is the first time he's ever had to do that. And so, of course, he has no language for it. Uh, he, he's never spoken this kind of language before. It's a totally new experience for him, and he did not react well. Yeah, he didn't. I mean, it, I, yes. I don't. Why do you? I mean, lots of people asked, but why? Why do you think he didn't give a more coherent, def, mount a more coherent defense? I, you know, everyone seemed to want to like give him legal aid on Twitter and say, um, you know, you could have just said this. You could have just said this. You could have expressed a lot of sympathy for Dr. Ford and then um, and then said, but you don't but it doesn't seem like you were the guy and you're open to an FBI investigation or whatever. I don't understand. I don't know anything about the law. I feel like I could have helped him with his uh, statement. And done a better job. So why did he just come out with this deny, 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 deny beyond credibility, deny, and fall into various seeming, what seemed to me like real possibilities for perjury? So 
I have to assume that he met with Donald Trump at some point <laughs> yeah. uh, between his Fox News interview and now. And I think that Trump must have said to him, what you did on Fox News was not working. Remember, this, this interview he did on Fox News earlier in the week, it was really, really bland mm-hmm. and boring. And he recited the same points over and over again. And it sounded scripted and he sounded kind of creepy. And I think Trump recognized that that's not going to fly. If that's the best that he can do to defend himself uh, without flying into uh, a blind rage, that he better go for the option B and actually fly into a blind rage and deny in a screamy, shouty voice, uh, because the other uh, method, it, it certainly didn't persuade anybody. So I suspect Trump said, the interview didn't work, try this, do the Trump version, scream, pound on the table, do the theatrics, and, you know, even if your words don't convince anybody, you will make an impression. And it's the emotional impression that I think, in a way, I mean, it was powerful. I, I, I did not believe him, uh, necessarily. I think there's a chance he doesn't remember these events, uh, but he came across as a impassioned and real person, not as a kind of wax dummy who was reciting points that, uh, you know, some PR specialist had said to him. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I, I understand why he did this uh, from a PR perspective. I, I don't think that it was legally helpful. You're absolutely right that he made a bunch of statements that seem uh, factually dubious, if not outright mendacious. Uh, but I think, again, he doubts he'll ever be held accountable for those. He thinks he has to jump through this one last hoop, and then he's installed on the Supreme Court for life. He gets tenure forever, the best health care in the world. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's just one last hoop to jump through, and he decided to give it his all in this sort of Trumpian impression. Uh, it was painful to watch, but it did, it did make a mark, uh, and it was certainly less uh, gross, or I don't know, it was, it was sort of less disturbing, I think, than his Fox News interview, mm. because he finally seemed like a man who cared, but he also seemed like a man who was lying. Interesting. I mean, I, yeah, it must have... Uh, the, thing, the problem is we have to talk about it as a piece of theater because we're not in the advise and consent role, but he's not campaigning. This isn't a PR thing. Like, Trump thinks, like, I did a good job calling into Howard Stern, and that's how you measure... Um, that's how you measure success or the opera pit theory of, you know, fall into the orchestra pit or whatever as the way to get attention. I mean, he's not trying to get a tabloid headline. He's trying to address senators, most of whom are still really reasonable. Like you don't have on that committee the, you know, some of the loons in Congress that are like carnies. You have what look to me still like fairly sober, serious people. And it's, just seems surprising to me. I still, I'm, I guess I'm still have, t- you know, two-year-old cognitive dissonance that Republicans with sympathies for the military and for discipline and for rigor like the president. So I guess I just don't understand why florid male hysterics became the order of the day with Republicans. Right. Daddy, daddy got really mad and had a meltdown. Uh, that that yeah. was basically the performance. Um, mm. I, I'm just as much in the dark as you are, I think. But my guess, 
would be that he knows that his best shot here is to persuade the senators uh, on the fence that the facts are at worst sort of in equipoise. Yeah. Uh, that there are some facts that favor Ford and there are some facts that favor Kavanaugh. And when you weigh them against each other, uh, they sort of come out 50-50. And so it's impossible to say with any certainty who is really telling the truth. And he wanted to convince those senators of, of that and then to kind of make them feel like, and if you still decide at that point to vote against Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. you are ruining his life. Mm-hmm. You are destroying everything he loves. You are destroying his family. You are destroying his career. You are making life intolerable for him, which is, of course, total crap. I mean, that's right. just not true. The guy still has lifetime tenure on the D.C. circuit. You know, he still has all the money in the world, or at least a fair amount of money. Uh, he'll still be well off and be able to run in the same right-wing circles that he does, where everyone believes him. Uh, but that was, I think, the impression he was trying to make, that, you know, Susan Collins, if you vote against me, you're basically telling the world that I'm a rapist, and you need to have that on your shoulders when you decide to cast this vote. So let's like, I I just am trying to get ahead of the pain, as they say. So like, let's say he's confirmed what happens. Right. So first of all, I think that if he is confirmed, then Democrats have no choice but to play real hardball with the court, specifically the Supreme Court, uh, next time they gain a majority in Congress and a president. Uh, and, you know, you've seen some kind of ultra-lefty Democrats talking about how we need to pack the courts, right, add two seats or six seats uh, or impeach a justice. Uh, or do something to kind of make up for these sins that have been inflicted upon the court by Republicans. But I don't think any of that happens if Kavanaugh is not confirmed. Even if Kavanaugh withdraws and Trump appoints somebody else who votes the exact same way that he would, I still don't think Dems grow enough of a spine to play real hardball with the Supreme Court in 2021. But I do think that if Kavanaugh goes through, there is going to be so much rage on the left directed for probably the first time ever toward the Supreme Court and Republican tactics manipulating the court in order to gain their favored legal and policy outcomes, that the pressure on Democratic lawmakers is going to be persistent and fierce and just through the roof. You know, we have had a long uh, divide in this country between the parties uh, with regard to who actually cares about the courts. Republicans care about the courts, right? They care about the Supreme Court and who's on it. And Democrats, by and large, don't. Like, they stand for Queen RBG, but they don't really vote on the basis of who's going to be on the court. That is all going to change if Kavanaugh is confirmed. He is going to be an open wound for possibly the rest of our lives. I mean, the guy is only in his early 50s, who is reminding Democrats constantly not only of the original sin of blocking Merrick Garland and getting Gorsuch in that spot uh, to help to entrench this Republican majority, but also of sticking this alleged sexual predator as that fifth vote to replace Kennedy, uh, who will then, I am very, very confident, uh, vote repeatedly to chip away at Roe v. Wade, uh, to the constitutional right to abortion access, to marriage equality, to all of these individual liberty issues that 
Democrats hold dear. So I basically think whatever going nuclear is to you on the Supreme Court, that is what Democrats are going to have to do, or else their base is going to get so mad that they might just walk off, I don't know, the face of the earth. They're all going to set themselves on fire if Democrats don't play hardball fast. We're definitely, I mean, the weather is the weather's allowing for it, and we're definitely, like, patching up, darning up our pussy hats. Like, I, I'm just like, I guess we got to bring those out now. And that yeah, chill and is in the air. Yeah, lighter fluid and, you know, set them aflame. And <laughs> well, that them too. In the air. Well, that too. I mean, it, it is, I mean, and it's, you know, you said this is what the left might do, but increasingly I think of the left as normal people and the right as something else. <laughs> like, I just, like, every single debate with, I, I still, like, look at a rally. I try to, a Trump rally, I try to squint my eyes and say, like, okay, there's a different kind of person that's, you know, that loves monosyllables and lock her up and stuff. And I still can't do it. So I need to have compassion, um, I think, for, and, like, continue to work on my capacity to see Brett Kavanaugh as anything but a uh, howling maniac. Uh, I think a majority of the country sees him the same way you do. I don't know if it's uh, the rest of us who need to work on our compassion <laughs> or if we just need to vote more and figure out how we're going to get ourselves out of this mess. I think that's absolutely right. Um, it's so good to talk to you, Mark. It's been too long. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You really soothed my nerves. This makes me feel slightly less horrible about the entire state of the world. Okay, excellent. That's what all the best we can hope for today. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's show. And in case you didn't know, and how could you? There's so much to keep up with. We at Trumpcast are going to be live in Austin, Texas this Saturday, September 29th at the Capitol Factory as part of the Texas Tribune Festival. We're going to be chatting with Pulitzer Prize winning Ashley Parker of The Washington Post and my friend Anna Marie Cox, who hosts the podcast Friends Like These over at Crooked Media. It's going to be fun, so be sure to join us. Tickets are still available at slate.com slash live. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon, and I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.